Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. In the book of Esther, chapter number four. Absolutely one of the greatest stories, the story of Esther. One of the greatest Bible stories, I guess, that there is. This is the story of how a young Jewish woman became queen in a very ungodly state. Most powerful country in the world at that time. Because of her beauty and of the spirit that she possessed, she became queen. Now, being queen carried a lot of power, but it did not carry enough power to do what needed to be done. So after she had become queen, and when word had kind of, you know how bad news travels fast, good news usually stays in the closet. And after word had leaked out that she was a Jew, and that her uncle was a Jew. It, uh, or I should say that it leaked out that her uncle was a Jew and he had no favor with the guy that was the right-hand man to the king. Things got bad for the Jewish people. So I want to read just, just a, a small portion of this. In verse number 11 of chapter four, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called. There is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called come in to the king. Now this is Esther speaking. She is sending a reply to her uncle who has told her we're in a lot of trouble out here and they're gonna start killing Jews like hunting season. In fact, if it were by our calendar, it'd be in December. You could just kill any Jew you wanted to. And so Mordecai sends word to her and says, you know, you're the queen, you got to do something. He helped make her queen. And she's telling him back, you know, I, I really can't do that because if I do, if I go in and ask an audience with the king, and I've not been called, and he doesn't accept me, then the law says I'm to die then, right then, right there. Seems a little harsh. And so she said, I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. So they went and told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Because when they find out you're a Jew, you're not going to be protected. So Mordecai, I wanted to impress upon her the importance here. For if thou altogether holds thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement 
and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? You can be seated. Esther did answer back and she said, I'm on board. She said, you tell everybody, send word all over the country that I'm going to see the king. And if he don't accept me and I perish, then I perish. That is, uh, that seems like a hard way to live. The story goes on and tells how that she did go before the king. She was accepted. She was granted her request. And her request was, of course, some sort of amnesty program to protect the Jewish people. That also was granted. The evil fellow that had started all this trouble, Haman, the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai wound up being the gallows he was hanged on along with his sons. So because this woman was willing to put her life on the line just to get an audience with the king, that, that is just almost beyond comprehension. Just to get an audience with the king, she laid her life on the line. That didn't mean that when she got in there, she'd get her request. But she had to get an audience before she could request anything. And that's what I want to talk about today is getting an audience with God. How do I get the attention of God? You can't talk to God if you don't have his attention. You ever talk to somebody that's not paying any attention to you? It makes you angry, doesn't it? You know, they're looking at their phone or or doing some of this stuff or looking off out there, you know, to see who's about to pull up. And, and, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to say, they're not paying any attention to anything I'm saying. When you're a preacher and you look out in the audience and people are talking on the phone or texting and you're preaching, man, you're stomping your feet, running across the platform and everything. They're not paying no attention. That don't feel real good. I was about 40 something years ago, I was preaching a revival in a church and man, we were having, I mean, we were having one of them Whaley services. I mean, they was walking on the ceiling and I was, the church didn't have no air conditioning and Texas air conditioning is a mandate. And it was in the summer, and it was hot. And they had the windows up, and they'd have them old ceiling fans. And I was preaching. I had my tie undone. My coat was off. I was sweating like a pack mule in a gold mine. And I mean to tell you, we were having church. And I looked back toward the back, and this one guy was a regular in that church, and I knew that I'd been preaching there long enough to know that he was a regular. He was, a, he was an integrated part. And every service, he went to sleep. And I'm preaching like that, and that guy was sound asleep. I mean, he, he wasn't just nodding. This guy was in la-la land. He was having dreams. And I, it rubbed me wrong. I was young, full of vinegar. Man, that old church, you know, it had an echo in it because it had them high ceilings and all that business. And I grabbed my Bible and closed it, and I reared back, and I hit that pulpit so hard it shook that whole building. And that fella nearly fell out of that chair. I mean, he woke up, he come alive. 
And I thought, that's good enough for him. I ought to go back there and lay hands on him, sleep through this. This is good stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of understand sleeping through bad preaching. I've done a little of that. See, I'm honest too. But to sleep through good preaching, I couldn't get that. I didn't think he ought to be sleeping through my preaching. I went to another church shortly thereafter. Fellow sitting on the back row had his children. His wife was playing the piano. And I was watching him from the pulpit, from the uh, platform. And his little boy was just running up and down the bench, up and down the bench. He was in the back. People get up and sing. People get up and talk. And this guy's oblivious. He's nodding off. He's trying to stay awake. And he finally fell just plump off to sleep. I mean, he's, he just gave up. You ever seen that happen? You ever sat behind somebody in church and you knew, you knew what was going on and they're trying not to do it and it's, it, you, you, you've seen that, hadn't you? Sat behind them and it's funny when they finally go. You know, and it's over and you know it's over. And then when they wake up, they try to cover it like. And so I, I kept watching this guy and he finally, he just went out. I mean, his head dropped, his chin went to his chest. He was all done. And the little boy, the preacher, I wasn't preaching. I was on the platform, but got another guy was preaching. He had come up and he was preaching about hell and going to hell. And while he's preaching about going to hell, this guy finally just drops off. And the little boy's mean. He's a mean little old kid. He's running back and forth across there. He had a blanket and he was slinging his blanket over his head like he was Superman or something and, and nobody's bothering him. And finally he flings that blanket and it, it just, it looks like the Wizard of Oz or something. It just floats through the air and landed on top of his head and just gently settled over him. And of course it woke him and when he opened his eyes, he was in darkness. <laughs> and he screamed like a panther. He thought, the last thing he remembered, he's talking about going to hell. He thought he had went there. So you see, bad things can happen to good people when they fall asleep in church. You might say, what does that have to do with Esther? Well, you have to have people's attention in order to communicate with them. You can't negotiate a good deal if somebody's not paying attention. And I, I will confess to you that I'm one of the worst in the world because I'm, my mind is usually running 100 miles an hour. My body's got old and can't keep up with it, but the mind still tries. And I will sometimes at home, when I'm there, I'm not at home. I'm there, but I'm not there. And my wife has covered for me so many times and she'd say, she'll tell guests, she'll say, they'd say, you know, your husband, he just, he acts like we're not even here. She said, he don't mean no harm. She said, he's somewhere. He's traveling somewhere. I don't know where he's traveling. And he, he's doing something, but he don't mean no harm. And then she'll come and tell me, you got to stop doing that. And so one day I was, I was sitting there and one of my grandkids came in. They said, Peppa, Peppa, Peppa. And I'm sitting over at my computer and I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm really into it. And uh, finally my wife comes over and, and wives, you know, they have liberties that most folks don't have. So she walks over and says, and hit me. And of course, I, I, I snapped. I said, what? And she said, why don't you pay attention to her? And I said, what does she want? She said, I don't know, but she's been calling you for 10 minutes. And you don't answer her. And I felt awful. 
So then, of course, you know, it immediately I transitioned from the worldwide evangelist to the humble grandpa. And I wrapped her in my arms and I said, I'm sorry, baby. And she told me what she wanted. All she wanted was an audience with me. That's all. Just an audience. And after she got the audience, then she could state what it was that she needed. We as people of God take for granted a lot of the things that have been given us. And our country has went in such a direction that we really have no idea where it's going. We don't know what to expect tomorrow. In, in my lifetime, I never imagined seeing great America like it is today. I just never imagined it. I never have in my lifetime felt the fear and the anxiety that I feel, not, not a fear, not that I'm fearful, but of where we're, what's gonna happen? What's in future for our children? Just, just this week, the, the polls showed, they took a poll and showed that seven years ago that Christianity ranked at 78.1% in America. And in seven years, just seven years, it dropped nearly 8%. Agnosticism and atheism went up by 50%. That, that, those are staggering numbers. The, the Muslim religion increased in America while Christianity dropped. Those, those are frightening. In just about three or four short weeks, the United States Supreme Court will render a verdict that affects every church and every American. It will be the greatest, it will be the greatest verdict ever rendered by the Supreme Court in its history. And, and I'm, I'm going to say this, not, not for the sake of politics, but the case before the Supreme Court is same-sex marriage. And so many people think, well, that's, you know, let them do it. It's okay. Just let them go on. They can live their life. Well, that, that's, that's not how it works. If the court rules in favor of this, it will affect the church of Jesus Christ in a more dramatic fashion than anything in our history. It's, it's worse than the takeovers in Rome because it's being done at such a high level and there are so many millions of people affected that this, this now I know no weapon that's formed against the church can prosper. And, and every tongue that rises up against it in judgment, you're gonna condemn it. I, I understand that. I know that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. But we are here. We live here and we're instructed to occupy till he comes. So we want this to be as good a place as we can make it to live in. And that's why these things affect us so dramatically. And you might say, well, I don't need any of that because I've got faith in God and blah, 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 blah. Well, you may have, but there's a lot of other folks that here that aren't in that position. There are a lot of children that don't know where they're going. They don't know what tomorrow holds for them. So it's imperative that we pray and we fast and we seek the face of God and ask him to move upon these men that are in the Supreme Court and these women that they will render a judgment that will benefit the body of Christ. I'm serious when I say fast and pray because it's gonna change the fabric of America so dramatically 
If this comes to pass and they rule in favor of that, it will change everything in our school system. It will change everything in our governmental affairs. It will change what we can and cannot do, how we can and cannot perform in our own church. It's critical. So the only way we can change that's not with bullets. I'm not advocating revolution. It's with us praying. Something happens when you pray. And I'm gonna talk about that for a few minutes. The, the Bible gives us instructions for everything. God didn't, God didn't put us out in the lake and say, well, here you are now. You just find your own way. This God is so powerful. He is, he is so incredibly powerful. In the book of Matthew chapter number six, he's, he's talking, Jesus is talking to, to some of the people and the disciples that are there with him. And he, he tells them, he said, you know, you need, to, you need to take heed when you do good things, when you do charitable deeds. You need to take heed uh, about how you do them and, and, and how you respond to God. He said, when you, when you do this thing, he said, don't, don't blow a trumpet before everybody. To, that's what the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. He said, don't blow a trumpet to let everybody know what you're doing. But he said, instead, go into secret and do it. Just do it and don't talk about it. If, if you're gonna give away a bunch of money, if you're gonna give somebody a car, if you're gonna do some great financial blessing on somebody, you don't have to tell everybody about it. The moment you tell them about it, you lost the blessing. And so if we can learn, God, I'm gonna be in this thing, but I'm gonna be in it under your principles and under your guidelines. I'm gonna do things your way. How powerful is God? Well, Job described him, and I think he described him in such a way that there's no way to argue with it. Brother, I'd like for you, if you would, to put that picture up I gave you. Job 9, he says, he removes the mountains, and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear. He made the bear in the heavens, the constellations, the Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? He's God. He is God. And I think sometimes we don't realize how powerful of a God we're really serving. It, it's one thing to wear a t-shirt that says, I'm a child of the king. It's one thing to have a bumper sticker on your car saying, I believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. I believe in the almighty God. But when you have a relationship with him that goes to sleep with you and wakes up with you and walks with you in every step you take during the day, when you have something inside of you that's beating and, and following after God, then it's a different situation on what God really is. Every one of you would love to see the dead raised. 
You'd love to see the miracles. You wish that you could speak to the mountain and say, be removed and cast into the sea and that mountain crumble in your eyes. But you wonder why you don't. Every church wants to see these things. Everybody wants to experience this. Everybody would like to be a part of this. How, how can I get the attention of God to the point that he will do the things I'm asking him to do? How can I get his attention? The sun is shining behind the screen here and you can't see a lot, little, a lot of that. But if you look at these pictures, I've had these things for about 20 years and, and I rarely get them out, but I felt like getting them out today. In that first picture up there, you're seeing a picture of the planets of Jupiter and all that were Earth. And, and you can see where Earth is there and in that, it's, it's, uh, he's, he's the big one up there. But then if you move to the second picture, the Earth moves way down because Jupiter's so much bigger. And then you look over here at the sun... And the sun looks whew, so huge. And then you see us down there. There's, there's Jupiter and, and there's Venus and, and these other planets along through there. And, and they're getting smaller and smaller. And then all at once when you get down to this one, you, you, bring, in, you bring in Arcturus and, and, and that's, a, that's another star. And that star, that, look at that, that's the star. That's how big that thing is. And this is our sun way over here. Our sun's becoming microscopic and you can't even see the earth. Some of these are named in the Bible. Our scientists have discovered where they are, pretty much. You know, they can only do so much. Their telescopes can only reach so far. But when you look at Antares over here, Antares is a monster, and our sun is not visible. The sun that you look at, 13,000 degrees, and you can't even see our sun. So the earth is not even in the microscope. When you real, and this is the majesty of God. He created all of this. He dwells in the heavens where these are. He named them. Job said he named them. And that's where we got some of these names already. They were being called by name. Orion already had a name all the way back during the days of Job. Job said God named them. So this God is much, much bigger than we think. He's not limited to Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. He's not limited to the state of Wisconsin. He's not limited to this world. He's limited nowhere. So how important could something you've got to say to God be? How important could it be to a God that's in charge of all of this? I mean, that's mind-boggling. The first time I ever looked at that, I didn't like it. I thought, I'm living, I'm living on a pixel. The place where I live is nothing more than a pixel compared in these pictures. And then when you blow it up even more and move to what the telescopes have discovered in other, other universes, we're not even there. We're not even in the picture. And yet God chose this little bitty pixel place and, and put people here to be called by his name. And he said, I love them more than I love all of that. Everything you can see, I love them more than I love any of that. And now here you are today, sitting in this church, just, just another Sunday, 
just another Sunday. I know a lady, I call this lady every so often. She helps me with my hotel reservation thing. I call her and, and she'll answer or she'll call me back and she'll say, it's just me. And one day I told her, I said, quit saying that. You say that like you're a nobody. It's just me. I said, you're not a nobody. You're a somebody. If you're a part of the kingdom of God, you have value beyond measure. You're worth something. You, 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 you have the heart of God in mind. He loves you more than he loves anything else. And this whole big picture up here that covers trillions of miles, space we don't even know about. And yet God numbered the hair on your head. God knows you're going in and you're coming out. God knows who you are. He knows where you're gonna be tonight. He knows what you're gonna say before you say it. He has an interest in you. So does that mean that I can order God around and tell him what to do? Well, he loves me that much, so. You know, sometimes we have troubles with our family order because we, we take for granted those we love. You know, you, you get married. It's good to have my, my buddy Joe here. He's like my boy. He's... Uh, he got a chance to take a trip with me and I was glad. He's a great singer, great, great preacher, gonna be greater, make big tracks. He was tutored from, since he was about 12, 13 years old, he's been tutored by David Bernard and that was his pastor and I'm trying to get all of that out of him and put some good stuff in him. <laughs> Wasn't thinking about this being taped. And so you get married and, and you're, you're in love with this woman and after a while you, you kind of get used to her and you'll find yourself, it's easy to snap at her. It's, uh, it's easy to, to show a little disregard. And they do the same thing, but for the sake of the conversation, we'll just use us men. And, and we'll, we'll do things that we shouldn't do and, and we take her for granted. And we think that we can just, you know, we expect you come home, you're an hour late for dinner. She ought to keep it warm. And we come home expecting things. And we do the same things with God. We take him for granted. We think, well, I've been baptized in Jesus' name. I've been born of the water and the spirit. I've been filled with your spirit, God. So that gives me an inroad that everybody else don't have. The moment you take God for granted, you impair the relationship. God's not a vending machine. You can't drop a quarter in and pull a lever and get what you choose. If you want God, you can't have God in your pocket. If you want God in your life, there are certain things you have to do. There's criteria that has to be met. So don't let anybody kid you and say, oh, once you find the grace of God, it, you don't have to do anything to get saved. And once you did nothing to get saved, there's nothing you can ever do to get lost again. That's ludicrous. Grace is not the end. Grace is the beginning. And grace is absolutely worthless. It's as worthless as a tick on a hound dog if it doesn't have faith to make it go. Faith activates grace. It's in the Bible. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of itself, it's the gift of God. So faith is what makes grace work. 
So when you go to God, you can't just go and say, I'm gonna grab the grace and, and from now on the rest of my life, do anything I want, I got the grace. Oh, what are you doing in this place, man? Why are you in here on a Friday night? You're a Christian. Yeah, but I got grace in my pocket. Don't work like that. So how can I get the attention of God, a God this majestic, this powerful? I could spend the rest of the day talking about the power of God. How can I get this God how can I get his attention? When Solomon built the temple in the sixth chapter of Second Chronicles, he's getting ready for the formal dedication. Never been a temple built like this. And he's building this place and he prays. He starts to pray. And if you read in the sixth chapter of Second Chronicles, this guy prays a long prayer. He prays a prayer for the future. He's saying, God, if these people, if the people here, if your people, if they ever wander off in the wrong direction, if they ever forget where they are, who they are, and on and on, he's praying his prayer. And he creates a, a half a dozen different scenarios for God. And under each time that he petitions God, he says, if they do this and they lose favor with you, and your, your, your presence and your power goes away from them because it will go away and it can go away. If they turn around, if, if they come back to you and cry out to you, then will you hear from heaven? Five or six times Solomon prays and he, he creates these scenarios. He's trying to cover every base that he can. When he's done, when this day is over, this, this dedication, they have sacrificed 22,000 bulls. 22,000 bulls. 120,000 sheep and goats slaughtered and sacrificed, burnt offerings to God. Man, these people were serious. Here we are in the New Testament. We don't have to kill no bulls. We don't have to kill no goats, no sheep, no turtle doves. We don't have to do any of that thing. We don't have to, Brother Kylie don't have, have to go home tonight soaked in blood. Jesus said, I'm gonna make it easy for you. I'm gonna give you something nobody in the past has ever had. I'm not gonna be with you, I'm gonna be in you. And I'm gonna change the procedure. I'm gonna go and do this slaughtering thing once and for all. I'm gonna become the sacrifice. I'll be the lamb. I'll let them do it to me and everything they do to me will be for you and every drop of blood I shed will be for you and that, bl that blood will be yours for the rest of time. And he says, here's all you have to do to maintain the relationship you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's all you have to do is present your body a living sacrifice. So we become the sacrifice. The apostle Paul said, every day I die. I die to me. I die to my worst enemy. That's me. When I've got problems, I don't have to go far to find out where the problems are. All I need to do is look in the bathroom mirror. Every one of us ought to carry a compact so we can flip it open every now and then and say, yep, that's the culprit. Close it up, put it back in our pocket. We are our own worst enemies. And Solomon covered the bases. 
And when he got home and that thing was over, no doubt he must have been awful tired. God visits him that night. Brother, you can take it down for a minute and put up 2 Chronicles 7, 14. He, he says, God, I thank you for everything you've done. I trust you, I believe you. And he laid it all in God's hand. And that night, God speaks to Solomon. And he says, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. I've heard you. He said, if my people, if my people, that's you, that's you, God's people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Isn't that beautiful? You wanna get the attention of God? When you leave here today, you're gonna know how to get the attention of God. It is the only way to get the attention of God. It's the only way that you can reach the throne room. And if you're worried about getting accepted, strike that from your mind. If you make this criteria, (laughs) things are gonna change for you. He said, number one, this is for my people. Everybody see that? Not for everybody that comes along. He didn't say nothing about Babylon. He didn't say anything about Persia. Nothing. He said, if my people. And when Solomon prayed, he prayed, God, this is concerning your people. This is concerning the people that love you, that worship you, that esteem you highly. This is about your people that I'm praying. And God said, okay, if my people humble themselves, the ones that are called by my name, if they humble themselves, seek my face, turn, pray, turn from their wicked ways. Then, that's the biggest word in that scripture. Then, because that's what Solomon said. If they do the, if they turn back to you, God, then will you hear? God said, if they do these things, then, then, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Let's let's put a little logic into this. If you don't do that, does God hear you? Does God hear you if you don't do that? What's the one one of the things that it's impossible for God to do? Lie. So if God said this, he said, if you do this, I will do this. So if I don't do that, God can't lie. He said he would hear me if I did it. So if I don't do it, he doesn't hear me. This is going to start to resonate now here in just a minute. And you're going to say, dear God, all these years I've been praying all these prayers and asking God to do all this stuff. And I thought that God wasn't listening to me. I thought that God didn't care about me. I thought the heavens were shut up. I didn't think there was ever going to be anything done in my life. And all along, it wasn't anything to do with God. God didn't go on a trip. God didn't take a vacation. God wasn't sleeping. It was the way you tried to get to the throne. You tried to come into the throne room and you weren't even supposed to be there because you had not met the criteria. Jesus says, when you pray, he said, I want you to remember something. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, your prayers don't always get answered. Now, he didn't say it just like that, but you'll understand it when I finish it. He said, you have not 
Because you ask not. And when you ask, when you ask, you ask amiss. Ah, what does that mean? Criteria. That means you didn't ask right. There's a right way and a wrong way to ask. Sometimes we make a statement to God and not a question. Like we used to, you try that with your parents, you don't usually get far. Dad, I need $15 right now. Give it to me. Boy, thanks for asking. We treat God the same way. Well, God, I'm in need. I need you to help me, God. Now, I'm, and then I have people, I've had people so many times, they said, I prayed, I really sought God. I went to God. I told God what I needed and God didn't listen to me. No, God didn't listen to you. God didn't hear you. God could not hear you because you had not done what you were supposed to to communicate with him. And so your prayer apparently goes unanswered. But the Bible said while they were yet speaking, already God had sent the answer. Who was he talking to? He was talking to a group of people that had humbled themselves in the presence of God. And when they humbled themselves and prayed and sought his face and turned from their wicked ways, then God was obligated to hear them. Not only obligated to hear them, he was obligated to answer them. And answer them, he did. One man, church where we was at one day, said he'd been, pastor said that guy's been trying to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit for 25, 30 years. He said he's been baptized, he can't get the Holy Ghost. That night, moving service, old boy got up, sitting at his chair, tears streaming down his face. He walked down there and just dropped. I don't mean he knelt down, you know, real gracefully. He fell down at that altar and sobbed before God and he lifted up his hands and all at once in a matter of moments, his eyes were full of tears. He opened his mouth and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave him the utterance. Somebody asked him afterwards, they said, how long you been trying to get the Holy Ghost? He said, about 10 minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, if we will get this scripture, which we quote, if we will get this scripture into our spirit, I, I don't, I'm not usually this, I, you know, sensationalize anything, but God has given me a revelation and God, I mean, God spoke to me and told me the answer to everything we need. Everything that we need is in this scripture right here. It's not that we're not going to God. We're just not going on God's terms and we're not willing to lay everything down, push everything out, put everything out of our life that doesn't belong there and come to God in a broken form and say, here I am. I want you to do this, God. And God's simply saying, if you want me to do it, then I want you to come on my terms. If you come on my terms, all of that universe that you showed a while ago, it's, it, you become part of it. There's nothing can harm you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you'll condemn it, but you cannot do things on your own terms. You can't make your own rules. You can't set up your own little club. You have to come his way. Now, real quickly. There's a publican and a sinner praying. And the Bible said that the sinner was over out of the, 
out of view from everybody and he's, he's sobbing. He's looking up toward heaven and he's literally beating himself in the chest. And he's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then the publican, he's the upper echelon. He's over there just a short distance away. Oh, most holy father, we thank thee and we honor thee. And he paid his tithes. He gave his offerings and he prayed his pious prayer. And Jesus made it clear. I didn't hear a word he said, but this guy over here that has fell down in ashes, this guy that has broken down every wall, this guy that's laid everything in his life out of his life. Why do you think David prayed and said, God, I need you? Why do you think that David was the greatest king in the history of the world? Why do you think? That it was David that God established an everlasting kingdom with. Why? What made David different from anybody else? Because David was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he had failures. Yes, he didn't always make the right decisions. But he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man that said, God, help me find your will. Search my heart, oh God, and know me. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way about me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let me be what you want me to God. Let me be what you want me to be. No strings attached, no price tags. I want God's presence in my life. How much are you willing to pay for it? What'll you give? What will a man exchange for his own soul? How much is the power and the presence of God worth to you and to you and to you? How much is it worth to you? Could you just push everything out? throw everything down and say, God, I want you. I want you more than I want favor with my husband. I want you more than I want the love of my children. I want you more than I want fame and fortune. I want you more than I want anything else. I tell you, you want to see this church explode and this church should, and I pray God it will explode. You want to see it explode? You change the way you're doing it. You say, do you mean we're a bunch of sinners? Not at all. I'm not here to rebuke you or chastise you. I hope I'm not hurting your feelings. What I want to see, I want to see a change in you so great that when you explode, explode spiritually it will circulate through this body and this body will double in size in a matter of months if you will allow it you hold the keys to what it is you want you're like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz she had the shoes all the time all she had to do was she was already wearing them we say well I don't, I don't know what to do. I got to get God to give me more faith. There's no more faith for you. You already have what you need. So the writer of the New Testament said, you don't need to get more. You need to use what you got. Just stir up the gift that is within you. Stir it up. Motivate yourself. Get moving in the right direction. Dear God, turn abundant life. Apostolic church, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, turn it into a house of prayer. Turn it into a house of prayer. Turn it into a house of prayer. Turn it into a place where people will come and humble themselves in the presence of God and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. And if we do, Seats will fill up. They will come in places you least expect. You can't sing them in. You can't pass out enough flyers to get them here. But I can tell you one thing. 
when the power of God begins to move, you won't have to find them. You won't have to run an ad on the radio or the television. They'll find you. They will find you. When rumors are, or I shouldn't say rumors, when stories start to circulate. Man, did you hear what happened over on Sawyer Road? You know, that church over there, that whatever color it is, it's gray or something. They say, no, what happened over there? Man, they had a man raised from the dead the other night. They had somebody walk out of a wheelchair the other night. Somebody was blind and got their, got their eyesight. Man, they want, they'll come to see what you're doing. You won't have to go get them. Jesus Christ never solicited a crowd. Never. Well, I can tell you one thing. When Jesus climbed out of that boat and walked on the water, he sure had people's attention, didn't he? Isn't that good? Sorry, but Jesus didn't climb out of the boat and walk on the water. Peter climbed out of the boat and walked on the water. Why is that significant? I mean, they both walked on the water. Yeah, we know Jesus did. But Jesus said, the things that I do, greater works than these shall you do. Only one man ever did that. Peter climbed out of the boat and walked on the water. Some of us, here we are. The church right now is in the boat. That's the good news, isn't it? You're in the boat. Unfortunately, we built the boat. So we really don't have to put a lot of trust in God. We built the boat. We know what it'll do. When you're in the water is when you have to trust God. And we're afraid to get in the water, Joe. We're afraid of the water. But in the water is where we get answers to our prayers. It's in the water that God wants us. We can't walk on water if we don't get in the water. We can't raise the dead if we don't reach a point in our lives where we're welcoming the dead to be brought to us. We are afraid of the miracles that will turn us loose. And we continue to help load the gun in the devil's hand that's going to shoot us. Don't be afraid. Jesus time and again said, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Why? Because fear has torment. Fear is the opposite of faith. We don't need a bigger crowd. We don't need a better preacher. We don't need better singers. We don't need anything. We need to be closer to God. We need to be closer to God. The closer we get to God, the more things start to happen, the more we'll see what it is we want. Revival's not out yonder. You can't call. Well, if we bring in so-and-so, he's a specialist in the Holy Ghost. If we bring in so-and-so, he's a specialist in faith. We bring in this, and I'm including myself in that category. You don't even need me. Revival doesn't start with Mike East. It doesn't start with Lee Stone King. It doesn't start with Gordon Mallory. It doesn't start with Anthony Mangan. It doesn't start with David Bernard. It starts right where we are. It should rise up among us and out of us. Why was the singing good this morning? Because we were praying and waiting to hear it. We were part of it. And there was, I watched everybody in here this morning. I watched as, as that singing was going on. We've heard those songs before. We've heard, you heard them before. You've sang them a hundred times. We heard them before. What was the difference this morning? I stood back there in my seat and they sang because he lives and the tears rolled down my cheek 
as I thought, God, because you live, I can face tomorrow. I've heard that song a thousand times. Was there a change in God? Was there a change in the song, a change in the music? No, something happened to me before I got here. The presence of God was moving upon me and I felt differently. And as a result of that, the singing felt differently. How many times have you been to a church and you got up and left and you met with a friend and you said, my God, that was a moving service tonight. And they said, I didn't feel a thing. It was them. You can have a move of God when a donkey speaks. I'm living proof. So are you ready for that? Is that really what you want? Folks, we're gonna have to make some decisions. Our time's running out. I don't mean here this morning. I mean, our time's running out. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We, got, we, we, we should be watching all this. We should be saying, my God, the signs of the time. I tell you, when he, when he, he didn't say anything this morning that, was out of, that, that he hadn't said before, but when Brother Kylie stood up here in that one sentence that he said, I almost catapulted over the chairs. He said, he's gonna come on a white horse. He's coming on a white horse and he's coming to get us and we're gonna leave this world, but we're not gonna leave it if we're not ready to go. We're not gonna leave it if we haven't done the things we're supposed to to be in the will of God. My Lord Jesus, help us. God does not talk to proud people. If you're driven by pride, you're not gonna hear from God. I can answer that for you out front. How do you know? How can you say that you're not God? Because I read the book. The Bible said pride goes before destruction. So if, if pride is coming, destruction's right behind it. So if it's you that has pride, if your life is consumed with pride, I got some bad news for you. There's gonna be some sad singing and some slow marching. Because right behind pride, the Bible said is destruction. So when the Bible said that God resists the proud, he resists the proud. That, that really means if you study out the word, it means he actually fights against proud people. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, I thought grace was activated by faith. Faith is activated by humility. Woo, son, I'm in a can of worms now. Faith is activated by humility. If you are not clothed, as, I, as you read in, in Peter, he said you have to clothe yourself in humility. And when you clothe yourself in humility, faith starts to work in you. And when faith starts to work in you, grace starts to work through you. And all at once, you become this magnet of God that attracts people, that attracts those that are in trouble. You all at once become an instrument in God's hand of mercy and righteousness and peace and power. And it doesn't even matter who you are. I watched a little 10-year-old girl. One night she wasn't a preacher. She didn't have a position in the church. She was 10. But I watched her lay hands on her sister who had strep throat so bad that her throat had closed. White pus pockets everywhere, 104 fever. 
I watched as that 10-year-old girl just touched her little sister and cried and said, Jesus, please heal my sister. And not the next day, not the next hour, but in less than 30 seconds, God healed the baby sister. We opened her mouth and looked down her throat. Every pus pocket was gone. The swelling was gone. The redness was gone. The fever was gone. Why? Because that little girl was clothed in humility. And when humility speaks, God hears the humility. Let me tell you, when you do all of this up here, and I'm going to close this now. When you do what I said to humble yourself or what God said, humble yourself and pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. When you do those things, that doesn't get your prayer answered. All that does is get you an audience with God. When that happens, then God only says, I'm going to hear you. Now I can hear you. But before then, before you do that, I can't hear you. God, I need you to hear me. I need you to humble yourself. Why do you think in nine and a half years I've been coming here? I've never preached in this church one time that I didn't ask you to please get rid of your baggage. Today's gonna be no exception. Get rid of your baggage. If you're mad at somebody, somebody's mad at you. Fix it today. Fix it. You say, well, they, they owe me an apology. If you go on like that, you'll never hear from God again. You'll never have a relationship with God. Sorry, Joe, I don't mean to repeat this. He already went and put it on Facebook and stole, stole all my thunder. If you are 100% right in any situation and the other party is 100% wrong, humbling yourself is now in order for you. Quit worrying about them. At that point, you must humble yourself. Why do you think that Paul comes along and he says, if your brother has ought against you, make him apologize. Put the pastor on him. Man, he, he, he's in trouble. He, he offended me. He hurt me. Well, God bless your merry little heart. No, but you have to humble yourself but I'm 100% right. Yeah, I know that's what the Bible said. It said if, if your brother has ought against you, if, if you're 100% right, then you go to him and humble yourself. Why? So God can hear. So he can hear you. Do you want God to hear you? You want God to hear you? Of course we do. Are we willing just to, you know, we have spring cleaning. We you know, we go through stuff during the spring, you get, especially up here, you folks, because it's 100 below zero during the winter. And then, and then y'all, during the spring, y'all start getting rid of stuff or pulling stuff out and, and using stuff you had and use lawn chairs and all that business. And, and sometimes you throw away a bunch of stuff. That's what we do in spring cleaning. We need a spring cleaning in the church. That doesn't mean we just have a bunch of bad things. We got some things we just don't need. So the scripture said, that it knew we were gonna have these problems. So he said, here's what you do. He said, just lay aside every weight. Just, just lay it aside. Lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets you. Just, just lay them aside. Just, just get them out of your life. Set them out on the road. Somebody pick them up. There's, there's plenty of people that want that stuff. So if you're willing to do that, what you're saying here today, if you're willing to do that, then you're, you're signing up to say, God, I want this church to explode. I want this church to explode. And it will. God can't lie. You say, well, we prayed that before. No, you said that before. 
son, that's why I only get to come twice a year. You said that before. You didn't pray that. You see, if he had not added that, that next verse, I don't know why he said that, but he said, if you humble yourself and pray and, and seek my face. See, you can kneel down here and pray and say, God, bless the Sunday school. And God, bless every teacher. God, bless the preacher today and anoint him. And, and we're thankful, God, for everything you've done. And, and bless the church, God, and blah, blah, blah. You know, we're praying. That's what we're doing. We're praying. And God, do this. And we say, well, God, he should, why didn't God answer? Why didn't God answer? Well, there was a publican and a sinner, and the publican was praying. God, I'm thankful, Lord, that, that, that you get to, get to be in my presence every week. And I'm thankful, God, that, uh, that uh, you are so blessed to have me in your congregation. And, I'm, and God ain't doing nothing. And then this guy over here on the other side. See, one of these guys was seeking the face of God, and one of them wasn't. One of them wasn't. This ain't an aisle runner and it ain't, a, it ain't a chandelier swinger. This one here will tell you why you're swinging on the chandeliers. And this one here will tell you why that you can turn flips through the church. This is why. Because that publican was not, he was not seeking God's face. He felt he didn't need no answers. He had all the answers. What he was doing is praying. But the other guy, he was seeking God's face. Oh God. Have mercy on me. Lord, I'm a piece of trash. I don't deserve anything you've given me, God. I'm not worthy to be in your kingdom. I don't know why you chose me. I'm so sorry, God, for all that I've done. He was seeking the face of God. And that's exactly why he said, you have to seek the face of God and turn from your wicked ways. It's amazing that, let's stand together, please. I, I know I've been going a long time. It's amazing that if you just humble yourself and pray, chances are you won't turn from your wicked ways. But when you seek the face of God, the wicked ways are revealed to you. That's the whole purpose of doing it. When you seek the face of God, when you get into that place to where you're ready to rip everything out. Yeah, I mean, the, the tears are coming now and, and the lips are quivering and your hands are shaking and, and you're starting to see things that, that you've said and things that you've done that you shouldn't have. All at once, there, there's something going on inside it. It wasn't like it was when you prayed yesterday or the day before. Something different's happening. What is it? You're seeking the face of God. And when you seek the face of God, no man can look on the face of God and live. So we seek his face hopefully we'll get his hindquarters and when we do all these things are revealed to us and when these things are revealed we start turning them away son turning off the spigot getting away from I'm not doing that no more I'm not saying that no more I'm not going to involve I'm not going to miss no more prayer meetings I'm, I'm going to I'm going to start paying my tithes I'm going to give in the offering I'm going to pray for the preacher instead of eat him for supper I'm going to do the right things and then God said I'll hear you all you got was an audience by doing that. You didn't get the answer to your prayer. All you got was the audience. Now your prayers can come before him. And once Esther put her life on the line, everything was there. If I perish, if I perish, I perish. That's a state of mind that's hard to get to. If I perish, but I will tell you that it is the state of mind, state of the mind that the church must go to. 
where we stand in God's presence naked and undone and say, God, if I perish, I perish. But I need your will in my life. If I perish, I perish. And then God can hear your prayer. And all at once, you start getting answers that you never got before. My wife, whom I, I love dearly, she suffered a lot, of, a lot of health issues the last few years. And I know a lot of people are because there's a spirit of infirmity loose in this world. And she got bad at times that I didn't think she was going to survive. But whatever was causing all of the other things and the doctors did everything they could do, her hair started falling out. I mean, just falling out. She would call me in there and she's in tears and the bathtub would be full of hair. And she got to the point, and you didn't see her because she wasn't traveling much, and I think that's probably why she didn't want to travel with me some because she was going bald. You could, you could see all of her scalp. I mean, her hair was just barely down to here. It wasn't cut. It was just she lost it. She was so, she, she just felt so humiliated. And we sought God. I mean, we thought we did. But one day, one day we really got serious. And it was a simple thing, but it was different. Because we, you know, it's like the, because he lives, we heard it a thousand times. But, and we prayed and I anointed her, just her and I. But something happened in us. And I don't know, three, four weeks later, she said to me, she said, look. And I went, I said, watch, look at my hair. This sounds a little silly to you, but on the base of her neck, her hair was thick. It was thick hair coming. I said, oh my goodness. She said, it started growing. And it kept growing and growing, and it's still growing. And now, she's got a head full of hair. She can put it in a ponytail. Her hair used to come way down here. Now it's growing again. What did we do differently? Nothing was wrong with God. We just hadn't reached a point to where we really wanted that to happen. Desperation. Desperate people take desperate measures. Come on, folks. Be honest with yourselves. There's a bunch of us in here today. We're not desperate. We're desperate, we say. But we're not really desperate. When we get desperate, we'll do things we never did before. Would you like for God, wouldn't you like for God to move in your life? What's it worth to you? What's it worth to you? I had a, and I want to tell this short story, and then I'm going to stop. And if you'd like to come, you come anytime you want to. But I, I, uh, in this story, I, I knew a man, I met this man, he was very wealthy, and he, he said he was in the, he was supposedly in the church, but he was so, he had so much money. And he loved for you to know he had all that money. And he always bragged about these things, this stuff. Every time I'd see him, every time I'd see him, he'd tell me, he'd say, every time I see you, because I would drop in unexpectedly. He said, every time I see you, I see a vision. And I see numbers. And I said, what kind of numbers? He said, a four and a three, a five and a two, a six and one, always equals seven. 
And he said, it means 20 or $25,000. That's what those numbers mean. He said, what does that mean? I said, I have no idea. He had some books in his office that were from an earlier part in his life that represented a multi-million dollar divorce. He kept them in there and always referred back to them and always talked about those books. And I told him I, when I first met him, first day I met him, I said, you really ought to get rid of them books. Never met him before in my life. I'm sitting in his office. He's worth millions and millions. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he said, why? I said, because your past, I'm talking to somebody here now. I said, because your past is dictating your future. You keep going back to your past and everything that God has done in your life gets erased and you're allowing your past to dictate your future. So about a year later, I dropped through town unexpectedly, my wife and I, and he had some quarters that he had let preachers and things stay in. We were staying there. We went in and I went up to his office the next morning. He saw, he said, man, Brother East, he said, so good to see you. He said, I saw them numbers again this morning. I didn't know you were coming. And I looked at him and I said, brother, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said you were to give me $25,000 right now. He said, well, that's, I said, no, no, this is not up for discussion. God doesn't want a word from you, not one word. He don't want to hear you say nothing. He's not used to having people tell him what to do. He had over 200 people working for him. He said, but bro, I said, no buts. Either you're going to give it to me or you're not. God said, give me $25,000 right now. And he said, well, I said, brother, I'm not telling you again. This conversation's terminated. He said, don't leave. He picked his phone up and he called up front and he told his secretary, he said, bring the checkbook. He said, make a check out for $25,000 to Brother East. She walked in there. She gave me the $25,000. I don't want to scare nobody off now. Don't leave till you've heard the whole story. Son, folks start picking up their purses and making sure their wallet back here is in their pocket and the pants are buttoned. And I said, he wrote, the, she had that check wrote, she handed it to me. He says, there it is, brother. There it is, just like you said. I picked it up and I looked at it. I tore it in half, laid it back on his desk. I said, I don't need your money. He said, but you, t-. I said, yes, I did because that's what God wanted you to do. He wanted to see if you'd give me $25,000. He said, well, I did. What does it mean now? I said, it means that God doesn't understand why you would give a man you don't know $25,000 because I told you it was the will of God and you wanted to win favor with God, but you won't get rid of them books up there on your shelf. Ah! I'm not trying to copy Capital One. I'll just ask you, what's on your shelf? What's in your wallet? You can talk church all you want. You can play church. Or you can be the church. And you get to make the decision. It's not noon yet, so I didn't go too far. I still beat the Baptist. What's on your shelf? What's in your closet? What's in your safe? What are you hiding? What would you like God to do in your life? How bad do you want him to do it? 
Remember, he's not a partial God. He's a whole God. You can't just have a portion of him. It's, a, it's the whole thing. It's a package. So what would you like? Come on, it's still early. What would you like? What would you like to do today? What would you like to tell God? What would you like to come down here and tell God? What would you like to talk to him about? Well, whatever it is, just wait until you humble yourself. Humble yourself and pray. Seek his face and then turn from your wicked ways. Do that. Just come. And then you've got God's ear. You want to get his ear? I'm telling you how to get it, but you're not going to get it till you do that. So would you like to get the ear of God today? Anybody? Anybody want the ear of God? Pastor wants it. I know he wants it. You want the ear of God? Once you do this, you open a whole new world in the realm of spirituality. It opens a whole new world, Sister Kylie. All at once, what seemed impossible is possible. All at once, what was way off out yonder somewhere is now a reality. You can reach out and touch it. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All, all. If all are supposed to come, who's not supposed to come? Yes, God, it's quiet here this morning, but you understand why it's quiet, God. We're fighting a battle here. We're wrestling with this thing, God. This humility thing, it's tough. It's a tough clothed. It's tough to clothe ourselves in that. That's a rough garment to put on. I got to clothe myself in humility. That means, God, that I can't, I can't go home today and, 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 and hold on to an old grudge. I can't do that no more, God. That humility is a hard thing. I can't hide things. I got to get everything out of me that don't belong there. That humility is a hard thing. God, by the power of the Holy Ghost, it is a hard thing, but it's the right thing. Help us to do the right thing, God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us, God. Help us to open our closet, Lord, and look inside and dig everything out that doesn't belong there. I know you're coming, Jesus. I know you're coming. And I have to be ready to meet you, God, and I'm not sure that I am. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.